0: Chupo driving hard at the line! Chupo, has he done it? No, it's play on. They go wide! They go wide! They get the try! It's O'Connor for Queensland!
1: Welcome to another episode of Rugby Fixation. Uh, we're back. We've just seen round two of the Trans Tasman fixtures, so there's plenty to talk about. Um, both good and bad. We'll, we'll try and spin some sort of positivity from it, I'm sure. Uh, but with me is co-host and brother, Curdy, who is fresh off seeing the Toulouse versus La Rochelle final live at Twickenham, which is pretty unreal, I have to imagine. Curdy, how are you doing? And Talk us through that game.
0: you going well. Great to have live sport back. First, first game I've managed to get to in since I've been in the UK. So it was, it was great. It was a surprise to see two French teams as the first game, but... Yeah, finals footy is always good, and uh, a surprising amount of fans there that uh, are, were genuine fans of the team that they were supporting. Not me, who who found a Toulouse flag on the way in and thought the team was a little bit better, so they jumped on the wagon. But it was, yeah, really, really exciting game. Um, yeah, I was talking plenty, plenty of Irish fans that obviously just followed Ron Agara and uh, supported him wherever he's gone. So that was that was surprising to see great loyalty to an individual in particular, but. Yeah, exciting game. Red card sort of decided the that the favourite was going to win from about twenty five minutes in. So still entertaining nonetheless. A lot of Southern Hemisphere players across the two teams. I think there's two Safers, four or five Aussies, and three Kiwis. So there's um yeah, plenty of players that we've seen plenty of in our time, and then obviously some very, very exciting French players in uh, particularly in Depont and map playing nine and ten for Toulouse.
1: Well, I was just thinking when you said you went for Toulouse, they're two pretty good reasons to want to go for them. But I guess two things I thought about was, firstly, we you keeping a bit of an eye on some of those French players to see who might make it over for the uh, Wallabies series? And secondly, how badly, just as an Australian fan, but also a Waratahs fan, do you want to have Will Skelton or one of the Arnold brothers back in the side?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think, uh, so. talking to a few mates before the game, I think Arnold's a walk-in to to the Wallabies jersey. And it's probably been known for a while that he's a walk-in. And I think after sort of watching this year's French comp and watching a little bit closer, Skelton's a walk in as well over, over pretty much any of the other options, I'd say. Hmm. So I think, yeah, I think you'd happily take two out of those three as your starting locks for uh for the wallabies. And then obviously Latu walks in as two. So that's that's three players in your tight five from the French comp, um, which doesn't bode too well for the for the Australian teams.
1: It is interesting because when they talk about the locks, uh, obviously we've got a few options that are popping up in Super Rugby AU that are doing all right um, and are quite solid. But everyone does seem quite keen on all the overseas options currently. I know um, Matt Phillip and Isaac Roderick are coming back to Australia, but you throw those two in with the Arnold brothers and Will Skelton, and I think that'd be a lot of people's sort of ideal lock selection for a Wallabies squad. So. It is interesting that um, one position is so heavily dominated by people that we can't actually access at the moment. Um, Look, we want to breeze through the results from the weekend, um, partially because we want to talk about some other stuff, partially because none of the results are really that great for Australian viewing. So we'll discuss all those. Now I do say that they're not great. There are some positives to take away from it. Um, So we will try and be optimistic, but at the same time, a certain level of uh, realism is needed because I think pre season we were pretty confident of a few wins. Um, you know, sort of ranging somewhere between 25 to 50% of the wins would have been really good. 50 was obviously the higher end, but sitting at zero and 10, uh, some stuff will need to get unpacked. So to start that off, is the Hurricanes versus the Rebels. Uh, it was five tries to two. The Hurricanes got up 35 to 13. Uh, two missed Matt Tamura conversions would have kept it a bit closer in the middle. Um, I think the hurricanes were up 2113 and you know the conversion uh, after that try would have just been nice to get them within a score, but really the hurricanes ran away with it they were too good for the rebels. Uh, they ran the ball five more times for 234 more meters. So just really lethal. Those wingers just tore us to bits. The attacking stats read 20 to 5 clean breaks, 44 to 5 defenders beaten. I've never seen a gap that big for defenders beaten. Uh, 10 to six offloads despite having even possession. So even though the Canes were penalized three more times, um, it it really just came down to defense. When you see that many defenders beaten, the Rebels with 71% tackling. Again, that's going to be one of the lowest I've seen for professional rugby. So not a great start. Um, Just looking at the stats, but Cody, what did you take away from the game?
0: Uh, A shocker. The first 20, like... What I would say is the Hurricanes played poorly. And I don't think there's any short changing how, how much strife they would have been in at half time after they had, what, seven penalties in their Rebels 22 and didn't get a single point in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and then the first trial came from the, the severe intercept. So they played poorly. The Rebels did well enough to to hold them out. And the Hurricanes obviously showed their confidence against an Australian side. in just going, well, we're just gonna keep going and we'll eventually score tries. We we got sort of 60, 65 points, whatever it was, against the Tars last week, and the Rebels got thumped by by the Blues the week before. So I think they just they went in very confident and rightfully so. But um the the rebels were horrible at exiting. And um yeah, I think quite bluntly the where's goosen run is the Worst offensive effort I've seen in a Super Rugby game in history. Um, cool. <laughs> That—that's—that's that's one of the hardest things I've—I've I've watched in a live game as a as a person that was going for the Rebels. To watch a probably eighty-five to ninety kilo bloke run through shoulders on Rebels players ranging from th- their whole team. I think it was about seven or eight defenders in that one run that he ended up beating. So it was uh, that was that was tough to watch. The Rebels did show glimpses of, of good signs. I think Carter Gordon overall probably had a, a good debut, a very tough ask, um, having played very few minutes. And I think um, I think their forward pack improved on last week. There's just, um, I think, yeah, the the story of the game was missed tackles. And unfortunately, again, not to be too critical, but unfortunately um, two very big missed tackles from a player that I've been sort of talking up to start in the 12 jersey for the Wallabies that did not show any promising signs for uh, a series against the French unit. Really not, what is it, a month until, until the French series. And yeah, you don't really so. want to be having those performances as a, as a starting inside centre.
1: Well, I, th- I think that was one of the concerns was this team was a bit more of what I guess I would have hoped to have seen earlier in the season, uh, putting Carter Gordon in at 10, so to can play 12, especially because that seems like the most likely a position for Tamil for the Wallabies, but it, it was a little bit too late. Um, I did a bit of a comparison between the fly halves because Carter Gordon, obviously very fresh on the scene. Auburn ledger was the fly half for the hurricanes. He's not a household name. He's not even really, I don't think a fly half uh, first and foremost. I think he probably plays a bit better as a center, but the biggest difference was Auburn Ledger's played 51 professional games. He's been given chances off the bench. Uh, he's been given chances to start. He's played in other teams he's just been exposed to a lot more rugby. Whereas Carter Gordon, this was his, I think third or fourth professional game. He just hasn't had this sort of exposure. So even though he had a really nice pass and a really good kicking game, this was a completely different level for him. So he wasn't as effective in his runs as he has been at club level because it's a stiffer air competition. Um, he wasn't as dominant with his tackles. So like six runs for nine meters, seven from 12 tackles. He turned the ball over twice, gave away two penalties. He threw the intercept for Sevilla. So A lot of promise there, but a lot of mistakes because this guy wasn't given more time earlier. Um, So I do feel for him a bit. I I did think that um, without looking at the stats, like his game wasn't too shabby. It was good to see him get a crack, but we just need more minutes. And um, Ben Darwin summed it up really well on the Rugby Pass uh, podcast of uh, Outerroa Rugby Pod by saying that each Australian team on average had 500 less professional games than the New Zealand opposition. Like that's a lot of rugby um, to be missing out on. So I think when you hear stuff like that, it is pretty easy to see why we're not quite at that same level. Um, but obviously we've got to be able to do something to bridge that gap soon because, you know, the more games we play, the more games they're playing as well. Our, the other set I'll just bring up is, as you said, the defense is shocking. The Hurricanes' backs made all 36 of their 36 tackle attempts, whereas the Rebels' backs made 31 from 50. So I, I think that was who's in run, um, accounts for about eight of those, but that is a pretty damning set. I think when you see that, um, and defense is one of those things that should be quite coachable or should be quite easy to remedy at training. You'd think so. I, I know that they linked a lot of points against the blues. They did slightly better this week against the hurricanes, but they really do need to step it up a lot more after the next fixture. So that, that's probably the, the takeaway from that. Um, we might move on to the Highlanders' best force, which was the best game for Australian rugby. Uh, the force were really right in it. Um, if you take away that first half where the Highlanders just sort of piled on the points, it really was a good game. and The, the force won that second half, but um, I think oh, – sorry, Drew, that second half. The big problem for me watching this was that every single try that the Highlanders got was off a lineout. And before transAsm started, the force prided themselves on having a really good lineout defense and they did have a really good lineout defense. But when you look at that, all four of their tries came off a lineout play. Uh, a lot of them were sort of you know rolling more plays and then they pass out to either Nareki or Scott Gregory for a try. Uh, Aiden Johnston got a pushover one, but it was amazing that they could just rely so heavily on this one facet of the game and the force couldn't adapt despite this being one of their strengths. so, Cody, what did you make of that? Um, just given, you know, th- this is something that we thought they'd be quite good at.
0: I think just the impact of Aaron Smith is just astronomical. They, the Highlanders had a good forward pack the whole of the outdoor Royal season. Um, the Chiefs probably are the best, maybe the Crusaders second, but Highlanders were, were quite impressive. And I'd say sort of a class above the Blues and the Canes. But I think just the leadership that you get from nine and sort of you you saw the linking play that he had with Nareki, you've just got that as a threat the whole time. So I I think the Force you sort of second-guess the full commitment to the more each time they lock it down because they know that they've got a strong pack. But if they give Aaron Smith an inch, then he's he's really going to probably put some points on or or march them down the field. So I think... um, that's he's been a real big class difference. It was it was very good against the Reds. He was he's carried the Highlanders for a while now. Um, when you look outside on on paper, and there's no no one else that's really sort of setting setting the world alight in their backline. Um, but he's he's just yeah, he's world class. He's he's probably top ten players in the world at the moment. And the force I've really liked watching them trans Transasman comp, They look like they're the most hungry. I think of the Aussie teams and they're putting in really just solid performances. Um, I'd still be pretty happy to see Domingo Miotti start over Jake McIntyre. I think he doesn't quite offer much in terms of attack and there's not too much of a difference in them in defence. And then um, Mingo's obviously got a very good boot as well. So I don't know. I I think I'd be keen to see him start again. His winning record's a lot better. I don't think Jake McIntyre's won a game when he started at 10 yet. So, um, I'll, I'll be keen to see that. But I think across the park, the four so far can definitely be the happiest Australian team. Obviously, you're not going to be able with two losses in a row, but they performed the best and sort of punched above their weight the most of, of the Aussie side so far.
1: The problem for them, they now have to go and do their New Zealand tour. I think their last three games were all in New Zealand, uh, and so to have to play the Hurricanes, Crusaders, and Blues over the you know, ditch isn't exactly an easy effort for them, but um, yeah, they, they should be confident. I mean, they've definitely looked the best. Uh, just touching on what you were saying, Smith was a deciding factor. Like he did set up two of those tries with like really crisp passes and really well-timed passes to both Narecki and uh, Scott Gregory for those two tries. Um, but because of that, he's just setting up his uh, outside runners so much better. Uh, it's really evidence the Western Force backs ran the ball 59 times for 179 meters. So they're averaging about three meters a run. Uh, And the Highlanders, their backs ran at 39 times. So 20 less times immediately, but for 225 meters. So they were getting 5.8 meters a run. Uh, It's just so much more damaging. And there comes a time where you can have as much possession as you want. You can, um, you know, keep the ball for as long as you want. But if you're not doing anything damaging with it, um, it's really not having the impact it needs. You probably need to change the game plan up a little bit. And I think that's something that the force do really well is keep the ball um but then you have to work on what they actually do with the ball and i'll I'll tie that in with one of the things that i thought was a big takeaway um new zealand sides just smash us in contact because all of our teams are pretty easy patterns to read i think defensively for them they they can look at what we do in previous games and map that out pretty well to what we'll do in the next um and so because they're smashing us in contact that makes us panic uh, that makes us kick the ball and about (laughs) 80 to 90 percent of our kicks are pretty aimless which just brings our counter-attacking back as an option. And these New Zealand sides are either great at running the ball back into our territory or kicking to find space in our territory. Um, and the New Zealand sides have worked out that if they commit heavily to three to four rucks, applying really aggressive line speed, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to steal the ball or they're going to force us into kicking, which they know we're not doing very well at. So firstly, it's a massive problem for the Australian sides. Secondly, why bring it up now is the force of the best team at countering that out of all the Australian teams force, keep the ball more than any other of the Australian sides. Um, And that's working really well. It's showing that it works really well against his Kiwi sides because they can't counter if they don't have the ball. So they just got to, you know, persevere through those tough three to four phases. Um, Koteca and Lee Warner have done a really good job of protecting, uh, protecting the rock. Um, They just got to keep it that because I think if they can find a way to get those outside backs running, obviously we've seen Oliver Feller is a freak when he's got space Uh, Thomas Kibeli, he's very dangerous when he's got a crack. That's when they'll really be able to ignite. Yeah. If we go to that next fixture, it's a Blues versus Waratahs. Uh, Cody, I'll I'll probably say this was the second best Australian performance of the weekend, I'd argue. Um, The scoreline doesn't look great. The Blues probably pretty lucky to have scored that many points, just given the fact that... uh, Akira Iwani stayed on the field the whole time. He probably guilty of a few more penalizable uh, offenses. Same as Finlay Christie, I guess, on one of the early hits. But nonetheless, the Blues uh, were the decided victor 48 to 21, seven tries to four. The thing for me watching this was it was 15 14 after 35 minutes. And I thought the Waratahs had done a great job to get into the game. But then to you know have a try scored a minute, two minutes after. They just, they haven't been able to stay in a game for long enough. And unfortunately, as close as they were for that little bit, they couldn't quite get there. So that was the only downside for them. Um, Another game really dominated by the Blues because of their kicking game. Zan Sullivan had an awesome game. Um, And if you just look at his stats, you think, oh, he's a fullback, he's a running player. He didn't really uh, get that many breaks or anything like that, but it was his kicking. If the 50-22 rule was in play, uh, the Blues would have had, I reckon another ten percent possession, just because he was so accurate with it. So, Cody, from your team watching them, how do you think they fed?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree it was the second best in the game, but that's also uh, of the week. But that's also so noting that sort of tars had the the lowest expectations, so that's you know an unbiased. They should, they really came in looking the worst, and I definitely don't think they've been the worst team. I'd probably say they, okay, the Reds look good in bits, but um. Yeah, I'd say the Reds had a shock around one. Brumbies had a shock around two. Force have been pretty consistent and Rebels have, have not been really very good in either. So I'd say Tars so it's somewhere fourth and fourth or third in terms of the, the Aussie performance, but I'd say they're yeah, sort of second in terms of how you'd be expecting them to f- perform in Trans-Tasman. Um, I think, I think again, there were some promising signs. Again, I, don't, I wouldn't say the Blues played that well, which is probably another... The thing that helped us answer was very good. Um heem showed some promise. I thought Turner, um it's a it's the first game I'd actually seen of him and I thought he was again quite poor, which is it's a tough ask. They're very exciting back line to come up against and to sort of get one on one in those wider channels with but he sort of fell over uh he fell over and Bryce Heem once didn't even I think he might have touched his hip or something uh, and just I, I, I don't think danced so. around. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, it was ridiculous, it was,
0: That was embarrassing. And then he made a very other another very poor defensive read that led to two tries. So it's tough, tough for him. I hadn't seen enough of him to, to know whether it was sort of a, a good decision or not. Um uh, picking him there, whether he's he sort of shown a lot of promise. But you can't really have a um a winger that can't make a one on one tackle. And that's the reality of it. All New Zealand sides create one-on-one and two-on-one and three-on-two opportunities. And you the last thing you want is a winger that can't defend. You'd have you'd have a winger yeah. that can defend over, a winger that can score a try any day in that situation, especially when the, the games that you win against the Kiwi teams are generally the ones that are sort of the sub-20 points for each team. And it's a, it's a battle. It's not like a, a Waratahs versus Hurricanes where there's heaps of points scored. Um, so... They will generally win the scoring generally win the scoring contest and then sort of just try and be the better defensive team. So I think I think that was really disappointing and I'm sure he'd be very disappointed in, in his first game. Um, but I think it's a promise Bell is just he's he's starting for lullaby's for me now. Like slippers, wow. a very good player. But the two performances against two Kiwi teams, like he's he's been the best Australian rugby player in those two two games. He's he's just lit it up in defence and attack. His work rate's phenomenal. Um, and he's he's gone finding scrums. Like you look at the I'm sure we'll get to it next, but you look at how Sear got dominated in Scrums, and that's a it's a wallaby prop with over fifty games for wallabies. And Bell's holding his own much better than that and is getting around the park much more. Obviously it's a bit hard with Slipper out injured. Slipper's is a phenomenal player, but you almost especially I don't know. I spoke to you about it, but Bell signing a two-year contract, he's the type of bloke that you really want on a four or five-year contract. Yeah. We've made some mistakes in the past, but a bloke that size with sort of his natural rugby ability that you just know is going to be good for a long time. He's someone that you really want to lock down. And I was a little bit disappointed in Taz and, and his Rugby Australia for not locking him in earlier. But, um, yeah, Blues Blues were too good. Taz yeah. still not up to scratch, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, some promising signs.
1: You're right. Bell's the kind of guy that needs that Tom Malolo deal of just 10 years, 10 million. Just get him stuck at that club. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, young guy who's obviously going to deliver for a long time to come, you'd think. Uh, just as you brought up Turner, again, this harkens back to the Ledger versus Carter Gordon debate. Bryce Hame again, not really a household name. I know he spent a lot of time in Europe playing. Um, and he, He's a great player, but it's not as if he's... Really knocking on All Blacks' contentions doors, but he's played 169 professional games. Like that's a lot of rugby. This is James Turner's first game playing for the Waratahs, so it, it is kind of stupid to have that matchup um, and expecting that. Hey, uh, no one can eat a WC, Has you know played what 15 to 20 games for the Waratahs, and I can't really defend. Let's get this guy in who isn't a known defender and who's never played a professional game before. Let's get him up against. Probably one of the best attacking back lines in club rugby. Like it just—it's mm. it, a very tough ass. So I do feel for him, but yeah, he had a terrible game. Um Which you know, Alex Newsom is probably loving. He's like, sweet, heat's off me. This is good. <laughs> Bring in the yeah, gallery.
0: You'd sort of, <laughs> you'd sort of be rushing Newsom back in after that, sadly. Yeah, but um, yeah.
1: Well, yeah it does make. I, th-
0: me... I think it just—it just does show, and you realise it are watching European rugby as well. The Australian teams are just so inexperienced and I'm at the point now where I don't think it's an excuse anymore because they've all got themselves into that position and there needs to be something. There's an incentive for players to come back that are more experienced plus... Um, whether it's more games like I think I think the NRC worked wonders for the younger Queensland guys that actually use it to their advantage and and got all those sort of semi-pro games under their belt that's why sort of the Wilsons and Wrights and McGrights have been able to transition into super rugby so much better than some of the yeah. past players that didn't go through the system but there needs to be some more game time and there needs to be better quality competition um, for those positions rather than going there's a guy that's called two tries in a shoot shield game let's Start him against the Auckland Blues, who were yeah
1: just who were
0: at the well they were top of the Trans Tasman table at the time and they're still top. So,
1: well, just as you mentioned, NRC, and, and I think this could be a topic for the next Rugby Rumble, which I'm sure you'd be keen to get into. But something I put together last night, I guess, um, looking at the difference between how Queensland and New South Wales handled the NRC. So Queensland Country had. And just think about what position these guys are playing, because so I'll, I'll do the same position for each team and just look at how they've structured it. Queensland Country had uh, Harry Hooper, Alex Murphy, Angus Blythe, uh, Angus Scott Young, Liam Wright, Harry Wilson, Tate McDermott, Hamish Stewart, Filippo Dungunu, and Jock Campbell. So that's a pretty good bones of the current red squad, because um, this was, what, two and a bit years ago that that side would have played. Uh, the Brisbane City side, in the exact same positions, had Dane Zander, Brandon Pangaramosa, Ryan Smith, uh, Tua Tua Lima, Fraser McWright, Seru Uru, Moses Saravi, Isaac Stewart, um, Ilicia Undra Sesi, and Bryce Hegarty. So, what they've done is they've created pretty much the Reds starting team and the Reds bench and had them all play together. They're all developing so nicely. Whereas, you look at the New South Wales side of it, uh, for the I think it was the Sydney Stars. They had Ben Donaldson, Tane Edmed, and uh, Will Harrison all in their books. So the three Waratahs fly halves all in the same team. You know they're not going to be able to get any sort of uh, gelling or continuity there. And same for New South Wales Country. They had uh, Angus Bell, Harry Johnson, Holmes, and Tom Robertson. Like, what's the point in having your three best props? And I, realistically, they're all loose heads. Who well,
0: are all loose heads? Yeah, yeah. exactly right.
1: Yeah. Uh, Johnson Holmes only became a tight head once Sakopi Kepu left. Really um so yeah just that poor planning poor management it's sort of eeping its way back in but anyway we we can leave that for the time being i'm sure that'll be a bigger discussion point later the chiefs beat the brumbies 40 to 19 um this is one of those games if you just looked at the stats you would think gee this would have been a really tight game uh, because everything was really close i think chiefs had two more clean breaks they were slightly worse defensively, slightly worse in the lineouts, same amount of penalties, but they just capitalized in key areas. The Chiefs' centers and back row were so dominant. Uh, Luke Jacobson was a freak, um, and it all stemmed from the Chiefs' scrum. I think it was five all after about 25 minutes, maybe, or 27 minutes. Um, and I thought, oh, it was a really good game. But then two tries that are on the Brumbies five meter line. And they just push right over. Luke Jacobson picks up and scores. I haven't seen tries like that really since either seeing South Africans versus very small Aussie sides or since schoolboy rugby. Like just to have complete scrum dominance like that. Not even get a penalty try or you know get another penalty and take a quick tap, because you see that a bit. But just to actually push them back the five meters and Jacobson just dives over. Um that was the turning point that was really hard to come back from because that makes it 19-5. Um, Brumbies really don't get back into the game till about the fiftieth minute, and by that point, it's already you know thirty-three to five. They don't have much of a chance there, so very tough for them to try and come back from that. I think because of the Reds match, it's hard to say this is the most disappointing. But Curti, surely this isn't what you expected from the Brumbies.
0: Uh, no, I this is this for me was the most disappointing of the round because Brumbies. Uh, were very impressive against Crusaders last week, and the Chiefs played the Brumbies' strengths and were better than the Brumbies. So their maul was better, their scrum was better, their tight and loose forwards played better. So that was a it was a disappointing one, and sort of the the opportunity to sort of target a ten who hasn't played ten all year. Obviously Damian McKenzie is a very good player, but that's that's sort of what you look for in a team that you're versing, that there's a big shakeup like that, or there's a mm. there's a change that is is gonna sort of throw them off guard. And yes, he's played some 10 there before, but not much not many minutes with the team that's outside him. So um and tier tier t- only played two games for the Chiefs at fullback, I think. So mm. there's there's a real opportunity for the for the Brumbies to sort of strike there. I think Brumbies still had some good individual performances. Valentini's still showing his class. I've been sort of really happy with how he stood up against Kiwi teams, but, um, yeah, it's just, it that was a disappointing one to see a, the Brumbies set piece, get demoralized by, by the chiefs who had been the best this year in, in terms of their scrum and their has been very good, but, um, I guess on on a selfish side, I was happy that Luke Jacobson made up for his two yellows and a red last week, being being in my fantasy team. Yep. But um, it was that was tough one to swallow. That was sort of the for me that was a Super Rugby AU uh, has been taken down a peg when Brumbies who I, I sort of like we, we talk about it Super Rugby twenty twenty pre COVID Brumbies were second, Sharks were one, and Brumbies were looking like. Like as a as a fan, you sort of go, this there's, there's a genuine chance here. Mm. Um they were looking looking really good. Their team hasn't changed too much. I think they're missing Samuel a bit. But um yeah, I think I think they'll bounce back. I think Brumbies will be fine. And I I'm hoping they can get three wins. That's sort of the, the benchmark, three wins for, for the Brumbies and Reds. So I really hope that they can both turn it around. Um and to be fair, they have had the top two teams. That's that's Crusaders and Chiefs out the way now. Yeah. So greener pastures ahead, but um, I, I'm, I'm sure knowing the Brumbies in the system that they've got, that'll be sort of the rocket up the arse to turn things around now.
1: Yeah, And look, speaking of having the uh, Chiefs and Crusaders the hardest ones, the Reds just had the Crusaders. they got the Chiefs coming up next. The Crusaders won 63-28, which is a massive score line. It's an ugly score line, especially because all the pregame talk was about how Suncorp uh, had 11 from 11 of the last wins for the Reds. Uh, they were looking to get 12, which would have been their longest streak ever. Um, and didn't even really come close. It was 28 0 sort of before you knew it. Um, with this game, I think a lot of it is very easy to just say, well, the Crusaders were on another level. And a lot of the punditry I saw was saying how Crusaders are the best team in the world, but also like this was the best they've probably played this year. It was a really complete performance. Um but really outside of Richie Mwonga and their back row, I don't think they really all turned it up to another level. I don't think Havili or Will Jordan or, and um, all were like you know superstars. Um, I think it came down to two things really, which was Richie Monga just is the form player in the world right now. Like he's just doing everything. Um, and also the Reds just are not treasuring the ball well enough against opposition like this. Like, that first try just you have the scrum you're in your own 22 just clear it like the crusaders five minutes in that's not the team to be doing that sort of stuff against um and our inability to clear has been one of the things that's sort of uh, hampered the team the most so you'd think you'd want to try and start that quite smart i know they've had a pretty successful season playing catch up against the brumbies but the crusaders aren't like the brumbies They score points a lot easier so it was never going to be a game where you could you know kick points and hope to claw that lead back. Like you need to get on the board early. And as we've seen 10 from 10 games, it's been 10 New Zealand wins and 10 times that the New Zealanders have scored the first points and the first try. So it's, it's getting off the blocks early, which is the big thing Um, for me. I thought the two standouts, obviously Richie Monger, but Harry Wilson for the Reds. He single-handedly led the resurgence that added a bit of credibility to the score. Uh, but his dummy down the side was ridiculous. His charge down, then pick up, then offload to Vinavalu. He's the real deal, isn't he? Like he, he's playing himself into a certainty for that eight jersey. Whereas before, maybe people could have argued Samu were nicer running for different reasons. Uh, Harry, Harry Wilson's just claimed it, I think.
0: Yeah, he's he's phenomenal and a very good friend of the podcast. So it's, it's always good to uh, to see the. The rugby fixation factor. After yeah. after their first podcast, hey, their value rises exponentially. But yeah, I think I think between him and Valentini and, and with Hooper coming back, our back row is looking in pretty safe hands. Um, and that's that combination of of size in six and eight, but also like his playmaking is phenomenal. Yeah, that that pickup that pickup's not easy to do. And the dummy was very, very cute. That's one for the all-time highlight reels for, for sort of Reds fans. So, yeah, I was, I was very happy to see that. The Yeah, to the to the Reds' credit, there's not too many teams that could have stopped Richie doing what he was doing. But they needed to find what they were going to do to win in that game. And I think the, uh, the very first Richie try is... Based off a a Brad Thorne mentality of we play our footy, this is how we're playing. We don't care who we're versing type thing. Yeah. I think you gotta care who you're versing. And I think that's what um, I think that's what the the islands and the Englands of the world have done against New Zealand in the past to make their school ones look a lot more credible and, and make the that tight fight. They play a game that's to beat the all blacks. They don't play the same game that they'd play against the Force or the Rebels or the Tars. Um, and that's something that I think like uh, he's, he's obviously a great coach. I, I might be getting that wrong, but I think that's a, a Brad Thornism to to sort of play, try and play your own brand of footy against the best. Um, and obviously that didn't that didn't work out. But I think yeah, I think Blackadder and and Colin Grace were very good. It's best probably back row combination the Crusaders have had this year. They they haven't really gelled in their back row. I wouldn't say yet. Um, and Douglas looked pretty solid again. He's he sort of hasn't hit the form that he hit in sort of 2019, start of 2020. But um he he looked very good again. And some very nice offloads that just meant the Reds were on the on the back burner. And I think they got I think they got a bit exhausted and yeah, I don't know. It's it's a hard one for Queensland fans because it still looked like decent numbers at the game to go out and watch your team get thumped after after a whole lot of hype. But I, I, again, I, I'm confident the Reds will be able to turn around and I'm hoping for, you'd hope for two wins for the for the Reds' next couple of games and really hoping it's against the Chiefs this week.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a big thing is just making sure they can turn it around quick. And we might just quickly cover the previews before we get to the talk of Twitter. Uh, but for our third week of Trans-Tasman, we need to try and get some wins here and there's some good matchups. Uh, the Hurricanes versus Western Force. It's the Western Force's first game overseas. Um they've not had to travel to New Zealand in a long time because of their absence from super rugby. Um, I shouldn't say absence because it's not as if they chose to not turn up, but, um, that's going to be massive for them. And I think the hurricanes are a team that they could probably capitalize on because they can defend quite well, this team and they've got enough, I think starts to challenge them up front. So that's a good game. I think for the Western force, nice matchup, uh, the Crusaders versus the Waratahs. This is going to be a tough one. I can imagine. Um, I think the Crusaders will probably rest a few players and I still think they'll probably get the job done, but, um, you know, a, a small chance, I guess for an upset at the SCG, like um, we had last time, this time they're at wind stadium, but we, we were there for the last win over the Crusaders on Sydney turf. Uh, the blues versus Brumbies at Eden park. Again, that's gonna be a tough one, but Brumbies, you know, you'd like to think and bounce back and at least stop the blues from scoring so many points. The Reds play the chiefs at Townsville. That's going to be awesome. Um, the Reds will win that one. We can put money on that now. I think they're just... They're saying at home, they've got a lot to prove. They don't want to have... That's our taste of 63-28 um, in their mouth. And they haven't lost two games in a row this year. So they need to bounce back from that um, after having just lost to Highlanders and Crusaders. And speaking of Highlanders, they versus the Melbourne Rebels in Queenstown uh, on Sunday other. So I... Why? Yeah. Uh, not, not really what sure of the reason. reason. Uh, this, look, this is probably the Rebels' best chance of a win. It's not in their, um, you know, Invercargill Stadium. Um, they're not under the roof. They've got a bit of a chance to upset this one, especially given they had bits and pieces of, um, you know, brilliance against the hurricane. So I'm keen to see how they go there. Realistically, we need a win. I don't really care where it comes from. I don't think it'll be Waratahs but the other four teams have a chance. So this, this could be the best weekend of matchups in terms of trying to get one um, win out of that lot. And that leads us to pretty much our Twitter questions. It all stems around this competition. So we had a lot of people getting in touch and a lot of people just on Twitter generally talking about what the competition should look like. So I'll just bring up uh, two of the ones that I thought were most uh, poignant. Uh, Norman, who is at Hampel, uh, said, it must be great for New Zealand sides and their fans to have such dominance but I don't see how this helps our players or builds on all the good work done in Super Rugby AU. Can we just skip playing New Zealand? We know they're good. We'd rather play Pacifica teams. Um, and I'll tie that in as well before I get your thoughts with Big Will, who's that? Big Will Rugby on Twitter, who said, personally, I'd like to hear some chat on whether having a five-week Trans-Tasman comp is a good thing for Australian rugby. So why not just extend Super Rugby AU with the draw and have the Super Rugby AU champs play the outer roller champs? Going from the highs and success of Super Rugby AU to being belted two weeks in a row is costly. And the force has been the only team that actually seemed to match the firepower of the Kiwis. As nice as that is, half of that team isn't even eligible to play for the Wallabies. He finishes by saying, clearly I'm still filthy with the loss to those grubs, the Crusaders. So hard to blame. I'm a very devout Reds and Blues fan, uh, big will, but uh, good points. I think, um, We've been versing the Kiwi sides and losing to them pretty convincingly for the last eight seasons. I think it's been. I know we had a bit of parity a bit before that, but for the last. Hold
0: on, who who won seven years ago?
1: Okay, should I say seven years?
0: No, I wouldn't even say that. 14, 14 Tars, fifteen Brumbies from the. We had Brumbies and Tars in the semi-final in 2015 as well. Yeah. And that's but, before
1: conference system. Yeah, no one was really coming close to the Hurricanes or Highlanders that either. They were they were pretty good. Um yeah, look, look and we've had bits we and pieces. It's been a while. Yeah. And I think back to I think especially twenty seventeen, where we lost all twenty five of those games. Um and that was either side of a forty match losing streak to Kiwi sides like that's pretty ridiculous when you think it's a, you know, two horse race each time. Um, so what are your thoughts? So I guess, firstly, do you think the trans is a good thing for Australian rugby?
0: I think first of all, there's, there's plenty of merit in the questions asked, but I think it goes back to sort of what you get told when you're 10 years old or whatever playing sport, if you, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And it's sort of a quitter's mentality to have a, Oh, we're not winning, so we're not gonna verse you anymore.
1: Mm.
0: Sounds like a sort of yeah, grade five kid in handball or something. But um, I think I think there's definitely like there's the there's the factor for Australian fans that get the hype of yeah, we're doing well, we're doing so well, Reds are gonna win beat win this Terence Tasman comp and then there's all this positive stuff and then they get thumped the first two weeks. Um, mm. I think I think the first point for that is take You sort of, if you if you want to sort of look after your fans fully, um, then you've you've really got to take the comp seriously and not rest players in round one in a very winnable game. If you're a Red fan, Um, Brombies have had a couple of injuries, but they also look to not name maybe a full strength team on the weekend. So I think you can't really complain about not winning if you're not going to name your best team. Um, I think yeah. If you look at, it, I think, I think you need to keep doing it. It sucks losing, but if if you want Australian rugby to be good, then you really need to get these players playing these games. You look at like the 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 young players that are sort of getting minutes, like the Carter Gordons, etc. Like, do you want them to continue to verse uh, Waratahs and Rebels, who are sort of we've we they're their subpar club rugby sides at the moment, mm. or do you want them to verse the sort of rich of the world, and and get to learn how different people play, so that they are more ready for when there are bigger games. Um, and I feel like as much as everyone says that it is a rebuilding phase at the moment in Australian rugby. It has been for for too long, but it seems like there's a bit more confidence that now people are coming back. We've got a World Cup, and then we've got a Lion Series. So for for the players that are really serious about staying, this is the sort of the key time to develop in Australia, get plenty of minutes and if you play well for Australia, then you, you're probably going to get a World Cup jersey in 2023. Then you might get a, if you stay around, you might get a 2025 Lions jersey and then you might have a home World Cup in 2027. So for all these, all these young players, this is sort of the, this might be sort of the the make or break, play Kiwi teams and the the ones that don't like losing or don't like being challenged Michael overseas and chase the paycheck. But the ones that stay, they're probably going to get the benefit of a pretty good run um, and plenty of prospect in, in Australian rugby over the next sort of six years in, in those competitions in particular. But yeah, there's, it does suck. It's it's demoralising losing those games and a it's, it's massive Australian rugby fan, it's, it's not good to watch. But mm. I think you're going to get better. You're going to win games. People have got to realise it's also two weeks in and, and our two best teams who are really they're miles better than the, the other three teams in the Super Rugby AU comp. They have come in, they haven't played full strength teams and they've versed the two best teams in the comp. So I think there's some, there's some greener, greener pastures in the second half of this comp. And I hope that sort of the 10 nil can be turned around to something a bit more respectable.
1: That'll be the big thing is just seeing what that number is. Um, I think, I initially wanted to average two wins a week. That's going to be quite hard from this point. We need to win ten of the next fifteen, which it would be, you know, a miracle at this point. But it would be nice to see each team really push um, just to try and get that one win for each club. But as we said, Brumbies and Reds haven't quite shown what they can do yet, and I'm keen to see that sort of switch on this week. I do like what you said about to be the best, you have got to beat the best, because I'm pretty sure you took that from um, all those years of us playing rugby away, and you listened to me just. I had to keep plugging away at that, trying to claim a scalp here or there. Uh, it would have been tough growing up in the Evans household, I guess, trying to get a win against me. But um, for the Trans Tasman comp, it really is quite apt, I think, because the Aussie sides are going kind to of improve if they're just versing each other, not to the same degree if they're versing different opposition. I think that's why I like Super Rugby in its initial format. you got to verse the Kiwis and the Sappers, and they had such different game styles and plans that, by the time you got to rugby championships or Tri Nations, um, you were already pretty well versed in what they could bring, and you could counter for that. And coaches could uh, plan differently, players could adapt differently as well. So I'm another all...
0: another quick two things for me is uh, one: who thinks the Pacifica teams are actually going to be that much worse than the Kiwi teams? Yeah, I think that's probably I think that's probably a bit a bit bold to assume that we're just going to automatically be better than a new team yeah. that's formed, especially if they're a lot of the. The reality is there probably be a lot of um, Kiwi-based players that are sort of squad players that end up heading over to the Pacifica and the Fiji team. Yeah. Um, And then secondly, from a coaching perspective, it's it's much better for our coaches to then get experience coaching against different teams and different skill sets rather than just turning up. And, and the reality is if you're a Queensland or a New South Wales-based coach, then you've probably seen a lot of the players – play from, from the Brumbies, Rebels, uh, not so much the force anymore, but then obviously Queensland and New South Wales as well. So you get a lot of exposure to to all the players in the comps and you sort of understand their game quite well.
1: Yep. We might park it there because I think there'll be a lot more of that brought up as we discuss um, what, what the competition might look like moving forward in future episodes. And Potentially if we get uh, the Pick and Drive, Drive Rugby and Gold Digger collaboration together again for another Rugby Rumble, um, it'd be great to hear The takes from the other podcasters, Um, the second tier of podcasters, we'll call them. I think we got the the starters out of the way. Um, Be nice to see what even Harry and Mitch can bring along to the table. But um, no, look, great to have a chat. Great to talk about the rugby, even though it's not the best results just yet. um, There is a bit of gold um, amongst the shit, so we're just going to sift through it and um, you know persevere. But for now. Uh, let's just look forward to another good weekend of rugby and getting that first win over the Kiwis.
0: Reds and Brumbies to win this weekend. Throw it in a multi.
1: Love it. Easy money. All right. See you, mate. All right. See ya.